This week on Breaking Bullying, we've talked a lot about the effects of bullying, but this week we're going to flip the script. We're going to delve into what isn't bullying. So sit back, we're going to hit that music, and we're going to get started. Bad things can happen to all of us, but just because something bad happened doesn't mean you were bullied. Joining us this week with her tale of a very negative experience and how it affected her and how in many ways it might have looked like bullying but wasn't is Kenley Fight, who is a population scientist and a success coach and somebody who has, it can be argued, changed the entire industry of airline flight. Kenley, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. And not as an afterthought, also joining us is my co-host, Tim. <laughs> I feel like I get forgotten about sometimes. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Kenley, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on our podcast this week. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Kenley, I've known, I work with kids in my school, and I would get moms telling me that, mm -hmm. hey, my kid was bullied. This kid called my kid a mean name, mm -hmm. and it wasn't bullying. You know, it was just a kid being rude or being just young. But um, you have a very interesting story that not just happened to you one time, it happened to you twice. Can you go ahead and share us that story? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So it's uh, it's so interesting. So over a decade ago, and I, it's it's so relevant today as well. I was told that I was too fat to fly by Southwest Airlines. And so I, I had a story go viral because I talked about it on the internet and people were outraged. And it really, it was such a difficult thing that led to a lot of positive change. And it's so interesting. I appreciate the opportunity to really come on and be able to look at it and kind of reflect on it through the lens of what I know now, my experiences, my education, and my work, and, and really kind of define what that, what that was and, and really how I moved forward from it in a helpful, you know, will hopefully be a helpful way. So what happened exactly? Well, I was, I was on the fourth part of a connecting flight oh God. and my flight was running late. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, it was a long day of travel and I got to the gate and I was asked to purchase a ticket on, on the market day, like the value of the ticket that day to fly home, to just continue the rest of the flight. And when I expressed that I had already been on the flight and I was fine on the last one, I had just jogged to get to the gate, um, to get there on time. For the next one, I was told I wasn't allowed to get on the plane because of my size. And so I had a very public conversation about private things. I was asked what clothing size I wore, how much I weighed. And I was happy to tell people because I'm, I'm still actually over a decade later, I'm still over a hundred pounds lighter than I was prior to that experience. So um, it was just one of those days when I realized, okay, well, I'm still in a plus size body. And, and I was just treated differently as a result of that. So this all happened at the gate. This is not inside the plane yet. Right. Yeah. It happened. It happened as I was trying to, to get on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a male or female? 
it was first a male and then uh, also a female actually came out and sort of attempted to aid him and and asked me the same kinds of questions and so it was a really it was a kind of a a very personal thing that happened in front of everyone at the gate um it was not a good day it was not a good moment even though it led so to good did they things. just stop the whole boarding process to take care of you first yeah yeah so i i pulled out my i pulled out my phone and because i had a popular blog at the time and i pulled out my phone and i just started recording them um sharing their language and the different things that that they said and and I posted about it, and it became a viral story shortly after. Speaking of their language, mm-hmm. were they treating you with a degree of respect, or was it very, very much like you were kind of in the realm of a human being, but not quite so much? Um, it was not respectful. I definitely, I will say that I found it offensive at the time, and I, I didn't know how to process that yet, so... I want to be very clear that I don't feel like a victim regarding this situation, but I would not say that it was respectful. No, it it certainly was not. It was kind of a a tough day for me, but it was clearly a bad day for them as well. It's their job to be there. I'm, I, I, I think it's bad day or whatnot. That doesn't change the fact that they should have been respectful. I mean, fair, (laughs) fair. So, they were talking to you in a way that would have been, shall we say, emotionally disappointing. It was emotionally disappointing. It's something that I would not tolerate now. I didn't really tolerate it then. I have a lot more skills in my pocket than I did at the time. But yeah, it was definitely disappointing. And it was increasingly so after a very public apology from Southwest uh, when it happened again months later. So it happened twice. Mm-hmm. Before we get to the second one, the move to the second one, during the first one, you had this interaction with these two lovely individuals who were having a bad day. How did that resolve on the day? Were you kept off the flight? Did you finally get in? Did you have to buy the second ticket? I did finally get on the flight and I did not have to buy the second ticket. People at the gate kind of formed their own court of opinion and I was allowed to board the plane. I think they really didn't know what to do with me at that point, but um, they allowed me to get on the plane and I, I headed back, finished the trip and then took a different airline for my following trip. But mm-hmm. once that happened, you said you recorded it, you blogged it. The first time, what did Southwest do post the first flight? If anything, well, I I blogged about it and then I woke up. I I don't I don't remember now. It's so hazy. It was so long ago. If it was a day later or a couple of days later, in which and and Twitter had really exploded. There were a lot of people who were sort of angry about it and sharing their opinions, as we know that uh, they do on Twitter. And Southwest actually reached out to me. So an executive from their headquarters reached out and just asked me to consider flying with them again. And I did fly with them again. So I had a very good experience um, at the hands of that executive. And and it went pretty well. But then after that, when I was back on my own, it was back to, you know, sort of a similar, a similar treatment to what I had experienced the first time. And that's when I knew I had to make a change. So it happened again. 
How did Southwest react the second time? The second time, um, I really, the, the gate agent, again, this was the person, you know, on the front line of what was happening, just didn't react well. And at this point, I knew about their sort of, they had a very gray person of size policy, but I knew it better than the gate attendant did. And at that time, I was allowed to get on the plane. I actually encouraged that person um, to to step aside and have the conversation with me privately. And I felt a lot more empowered to do that. Um, and it took a little coercing on my part just to to get them to agree to have that conversation behind closed doors, which was really just in a hallway. But I was able to express, hey, I've been in this situation before and and it's not going to go well if we need a different outcome. I didn't, I was able to get on the plane again, but at that point I decided that I needed to do something else. So I actually sued Southwest in federal court and I sued them for no money. And so looking back, I realized where, you know, I realized how it could have been more effective on my end if I, maybe I would have gotten their attention um, more quickly or more effectively if I had sued for money, but I didn't want their money. I wanted them to change their policy and they ultimately did. And for all of that, you don't regard that as having been bullied. I don't, I wouldn't say that that was bullying. No, I think it was rude and offensive and it shouldn't have existed. Shouldn't have happened the way that it did. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily view it as bullying. I don't think anyone woke up that morning, you know, that initial day with the intention of just hurting a fat person's feelings. I don't think that's what happened. I think people just sometimes don't know how to handle their emotions. I think they weren't trained well. So they took the brunt of the frustration from poor leadership that they were working under. And so I, I wouldn't call it bullying, even though it's unacceptable. I don't always think, I think sometimes we refer to things as bullying when in fact, it could just be that, that someone's being a jerk. It, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you guys are the experts on bullying, but I didn't feel bullied. I felt Insulted. like someone was rude and inappropriate, but yeah, yeah. It seems like nowadays if you get your feelings hurt, you're being bullied. Like this person's bullying me. I feel that's mm -hmm. such a strong word to use and to call somebody a bully because if I just, if I called you fat, that's probably inappropriate. It's being rude. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to overpower you. I'm just a rude person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think people feel like they're being bullied when they're being, like in a situation like that or when they get a name called or someone pushes them or shoves them maybe on purpose as you're walking by the hallway why do you think we as people think oh you're bullying me because you pushed me to the side well i think you know this is something i study in great depth as in my daily life and i think that one thing that happens that is that we follow societal trends. I think a lot of times people are looking for answers to ambiguous questions. And when they don't understand how someone could be so unkind, like it's very hard to rationalize something that simply isn't rational. And I think we often confuse trying to, to look at a situation rationally um, it's very easy for our emotions to come in and get involved. And when that happens, it's easier just to say, okay, yeah, let's put a bow on this and call it bullying 
than it is to to really look more in depth at at the other possibilities. The scenarios are really endless, but we kind of hyper focus as a society on whatever we hear someone else saying, unless we're challenging our own thoughts and really thinking about them in a self-reflective way. I've talked to people before and they would bring up like their workplace and they're saying, my boss is bullying me because my boss believes things should be done this way. And I disagree with it. So my boss cuts away my work. And I tell him, you know, that's not bullying. That's your boss being a boss telling you what to do. <laughs> I'm not sure why you would call that bullying. Yeah, we have, we often have expectations. Everything that we do in life, every choice, every decision we make is based on a perceived outcome. And so if, if, if I'm the boss and I have a certain set of expectations, it's my responsibility to communicate them clearly and respectfully, but it's not my job to coddle. I mean, it's not, there are going to be times when, when you have to do things in a way that you may not think is best because you are, you're required to do them as part of your role. But that I definitely would agree with you. That's not bullying. That's just, that's part of adult life. I'm on a few of these anti-bullying or these bullying Facebook groups and I read their stories and one caught me, caught my attention. This person was saying that their boss is bullying them and their boss should have higher standards when they talk to people. And I didn't comment because I, but I wanted to, but I'm like, don't we all have equal standards <laughs> just because y- your boss is a boss, but you should also have the same standards that your boss then as treating people. Do you believe that's true? So I think I, I see where you're going, Tim. And what I would say is that we do all have standards. They're not all equal. So I think it's really important to recognize that when you're in a situation and someone who is in a leadership position and you are working for that person or being directed or supervised by that person, they may not be living up. I mean, I've certainly had bosses who have not lived up to the standard of respect and kindness that I expect from other people. And at that point, I looked for another job. So I think it's really important to recognize that having standards, we all have them. Again, those are expectations, our perceived outcome. But when someone isn't meeting them, it it may be that they just have a different value system or, or a different set of ideals. It may just be an opportunity for you to look and kind of figure out what would be a better fit. Does that make sense? Yeah, but would you call that bullying though? Oh, no, no. There's a difference between having an expectation of how you're supposed to be treated and the corporate culture or the culture of whatever it is not matching the way you would like to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes decisions on your part, whether you want to a stay and try to cope within the circumstance that it is or b walk away or there's always option C, which is stand up for yourself and see what happens. Because sometimes it can work mm-hmm. in your favor, and sometimes mm-hmm. you can create a war zone that doesn't benefit anybody, least of all you. Yeah. But we don't all have the same value systems. We all don't pull from the same thing because, you know, just there are so many different pieces of our makeup, and they're just not the same. Yeah. Well, we have such different lived experiences that really 
just create the fabric. So, so it's great that we're not all the same. I mean, when we're looking at it from a lens of a healthy standpoint, it's fantastic that we're not the same. Tim, I'm sure that on any given day, you and I have experiences that are different, different interactions, people, you know, we might interact with Bruce in a completely different way that's, that's beneficial and that's life-giving. Um, but yeah, I, I think it really, my, what I learned from the experience that I was in and, and what I continue to learn now is that I have to determine what my actions will look like because I'm responsible for those. And I'm responsible to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, that I'm being, uh, that I am living up to the standard I set for myself. And that's something I can control. The rest of it is, I can't control the rest of it. I like that you said that because I feel like in today's society, when we get our feelings hurt, people tend to feel like, well, no, I can be as rude as I want back to you. I'm going to make a show and they'll just blow up in your face. Even if this other person even made a simplest mistake. For instance, my, my daughter and I, she's a 21-year-old. She's autistic. We were in McDonald's one day and this uh, person forgot to put something on their burger. I don't know what it was, but this lady came in. Just because they messed up her burger, she just chewed out this young high school kid about a burger. And he's like, well, do you want to speak to my manager? And they're like, no, I don't want to speak to your manager. I'm like, I feel like people lose their self-control. Like they feel like they have the right to treat you rude. And it's like a never-ending circle because that kid handled it well. But you can go on TikTok and watch Karen videos or watch other videos where they'll start a fight, then they'll start a fight and it just keeps going back and forth and never resolves. Do you think there has been a coarsening of society? I, you know, I'm so glad that you all are, are bringing attention to this because I will say that I have a website now and it doesn't have, I don't have as many followers on social media as I did when I was just so angry about what happened to me. And I, one of the things I've noticed is how people really, again, we follow societal trends. I deactivated my Twitter account because it has really become this complaining vacuum. Nothing good comes out of it. At least that was my perspective. And so I think we live in this um, society where we, we, most of us feel pretty entitled and that, that becomes very dangerous because we can't be entitled and, and humble, or at least I haven't figured out how to do that yet. So um, I think it becomes really easy to to sort of complain and get everyone behind you because now everyone has an opportunity to have a voice, but I want my voice to promote life and and it didn't always to be honest with you and and i was I'm proud of the way that I handled myself when when I was hurt at the hands of Southwest but Knowing what I know now, I could have offered grace and still gotten a good result. But I think we have to know how to receive it before we can offer it. And I think that's that's where we get stuck because we get so hyper-focused on living in this victim mentality, like, hey, this person hurt me, so I can lash out. It doesn't make us feel better. We think it will. It promises to, but it doesn't. It just creates a cycle of pain that it is our individual responsibility to put an end to. Do you feel it's because things like fear and anger are more along the lines of a prurient interest where it's kind of almost like a pornography, almost like that kind of base 
emotion that even if it's a negative thing has a almost primal kind of satisfying feel? You know, I think that fear is familiar and we tend to to migrate toward toward what's familiar because it's comfortable. And so we'll sit in an unhappy space because it's familiar and perhaps, you know, that's perhaps you're you experience something in childhood that's familiar and you have some some level of trauma that you haven't dealt with. Our nervous systems have no understanding of time. So, we will go to what is familiar, we'll sit with fear or some sort of some sort of negative emotion, but fear being the case in this one, and we'll stay there because it's what we know and it's comfortable. And and I will say that um, it is extremely uncomfortable to sort of break out of that mindset and try something new because it's unfamiliar. Uh, but it's it's been worth it in my my life. A few years ago we had this issue of school bus bullying and mm-hmm. there was a Facebook created in our, in our local town. And I offered to say, Hey, if you feel like your kid's being bullied in school, I would love to help them. I'll give them a free week and I'll teach them how to be bully proof. Wow. These parents got upset at me. You're just trying to promote your business. Look at this guy. He just tried to promote his business. He does not care about these kids. I was like, the parents like got negative to me. Wow. I was just trying to offer a helping hand. Do you feel that some people are just happy being bullied? Is that even possible? Or they're happy with how life is going? I think that, again, it comes back to less about being happy. We are the sum of our habits. And so I work with clients all the time who come to me and they're like, hey, I just don't really know how to like myself. And it usually goes back to something they believe, something that was spoken over them a lifetime ago, like usually, usually you can pinpoint it somewhere in their um, adolescent years, someone hurt them. And so again, it's very familiar. And when you hold on to something, some sort of unresolved anger, as a young person, I mean, that we start playing that over and over in our minds, it can take a lot, it takes so much courage and a lot of fortitude to to unravel that trash, which is what it is. It's trash. But we get very comfortable sitting in our anger. I mean, gosh, I, back in, in to my original story, I was living in a constant state of offense. I mean, I'm a 300-pound female who was living in New York at the time. And when I was, you know, 100 pounds heavier plus, people on the street would tell me how ugly I was or how point out how heavy I was. And so it really became a practice to just believe that people were assuming the worst. So we really have to learn to unpractice it. I don't, I don't think, I think kind of going to your statement about the, the people getting mad at you. I think a lot of times when we can't trust, it's because we can't be trusted. So maybe, maybe there was some fear that, that they might have a motive if they were you, you know? So, so we tend to project our unhealthy ideas onto the people around us rather than just assuming good intentions. It has been my experience that, especially when it comes to childhood traumas that create anger responses or self-loathing responses, those are the hardest thing to dig out of you. Much like you, and actually I even had a podcast called The Fittest Fat Kid You Know because I've also been heavy for most of my life. I've gone up and down, up and down, up and down. 
And because at around the age of 11, I weighed 280 pounds, it doesn't actually matter what my weight is. In the back of my head, I'm always an 11-year-old, 280-pound kid. And that's the levers mm -hmm. that drive the machine that is me. Doesn't help that I'm a bit more up there right now. This circumstance of being teased and bullied at that point defines me even now to some degree. And there are bits and pieces that I can work on, but I can never fully excavate it out of my head. I can never get rid of it. Mm -hmm. It's always still present. I don't think we need to get rid of it. I think we need to learn how to leverage it, which mm -hmm. is what I've done. And so it's not, it's not as if no one is ever going to say a negative thing about me again. That's going to happen because we live in a world that's filled with broken, hurting people. So that's, that's going to be a thing. When I recognize that that will occasionally happen, it takes the pressure off of me to, to sort of wait for when it does. And what it, what it does instead is I have refocused myself to understand, okay, I remember a time. I wish I could go back and tell myself, hey, you're valuable. You're enough. Your unique gifts are going to serve you really well. You just have to get through this hard time. And that's what I do now with clients all the time. But so I don't, I don't want to forget it or forget what that pain felt like. Instead, what I want to do is continue to leverage it, to continue to be able to say, okay, I'm recognizing that something, something's going on with this person here and they're not being kind to me. Wow, they probably have an issue. I wonder who hurt them. I wonder how I can help them. And they don't always receive that help, but sometimes they do. I was at a, I don't know if I told you this story, Tim, but I was at a gym several years ago, uh, shortly, just shortly after moving to New Orleans. And a, a skinny person, and I say skinny, reminding you that fit is different, but a skinny person was mocking me while I was swimming laps at, at, at the gym. And I was swimming a mile that night. And so I still feel pretty proud that I can easily swim a mile in the pool, but I was swimming in the pool and, and this person who was smaller than me, um, started taking video of me on her phone and well, that's rude. that, you know, that is rude. Yeah. Oh, of course it's rude. Well, so here's the thing. Now I know how to approach someone and say, Hey, that's rude. And I have a, a high level of self-efficacy a belief in myself that I can do that. But as I, as I watched this person, like trying to make me feel bad, I recognized she's trying to make herself feel better. And so I looked her right in the eyes and I was like, whoever said you weren't enough was wrong. And she started crying. Wow. It was the most redeeming moment for me because I didn't have to take on someone else's crap and carry it as my burden. So I got to empathize with that person. But I didn't have to take on her words or her actions toward me as the truth. And once I learned how to stop doing that, I didn't need to get rid of it. I was able to really like use it to, to help benefit people around me. Just saying that to that person takes a ton of self-control because <laughs> who knows what I would have said. Mm -hmm. But we know what yeah, I would do. I'm from yeah. Philadelphia and I, and I carry <laughs> that. So, oh God, I just... I also want to say, I don't know how to, I don't know if this really is, is the appropriate moment to say this, but I do want to add that a lot of times the things that hurt us the most, kind of speaking to what you were saying a few minutes ago, Bruce, 
the things that hurt us the most are the things that we believe about ourselves. So if someone says to me, Hey, Kinley, you're not very smart. I'll, I'll like laugh at them. Like, I know I'm smart. I'm not the smartest person, but I'm really smart. I'm highly educated. That doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I'm like, you don't know anything. But when it's something that is more personal to me, it takes time for me to say, okay, let me challenge that thought. Let me replace it with the truth as I know it, who I am. And so it takes a lot of practice. It's something that I've gotten a lot better at, but it's something I have to continually practice too, if that makes sense. It does. For me, and and Tim will give his after mine, I generally speaking, don't put much credence in what other people think of me unless I know them and they have earned a degree of the right for their opinion to matter to me. So what That's good. hampers me is my perception of myself, which is very mm-hmm. highly shaped by my childhood. So I know things like I'm creative, I'm smart, I've, I'm capable. I am probably the most jack of all trades person anybody ever meets. And I can make a lot of things happen. I'm never going to be an expert at anything, which I'm very comfortable with because I can do a ton of things well enough to be very efficient for myself. But my perception of my weight is the make or break for me. And it's all internal. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what anyone says about it. It's how I feel about it. And that's the thing that sits with me, my own internal perceptions of myself. Those are the most painful because those are the ones we can't get away from. And so those are the ones that we have to dig the deepest to address. And I I think there's so much, there's so much freedom in that, but I do think it takes a lot of courage to even recognize that. And that's so powerful, so powerful. If I could have a client who could walk into my office with that as their starting point, I mean, they're going to make progress because that's, that is an issue that We have to be able to admit that. And I think it's so hard. We carry a lot of shame when we're not willing to bring light to something. And so I think it's really good that you can recognize that. That's so helpful. You know, my biggest issue is, because I was bullied all throughout school, I turned into this people pleaser. So I always want to do things to make that person happy. And of course, I worked in healthcare for many years, about 20 some years I worked in healthcare. So I was just kind of embedded, you know, you please the people. When I got into running a business, I realized being a people pleaser, people started to, I don't want to say abuse it, but they would use that towards their advantage and take advantage of me. And just like a year or so ago, I started realizing I must stop people pleasing and do what's best for myself. But, you know, starting my business, trying to be a people pleaser, I was afraid of changing anything because I'd make somebody mad. And looking back at it, it's like, why did I give a crap what they thought in the first place? No, it didn't benefit me. It didn't prove me at all. I worried about this one person's opinion. And social media was big for me, starting your own business. When I, when I announced Kato Karate the first time, I would get people uh, messaging me my business. You're not real karate, blah, 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 all this stupid stuff. I didn't get a lot of that. I got more positive than negative. But I will let that little comment just eat up at my day. I had one person tell me, well, you shouldn't call yourself Kato Karate because you're not karate. I, I almost changed my business name to Kato Martial Arts because I was worried about one person's thought. I was like, Kato Martial Arts does not sound, as a marketing term, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound catchy. 
Kato Karate sounds catchy. I'm using Kato Karate. I don't care what you think. But, you know, if you're a people pleaser, that when people spot that, they're going to take advantage of you. Is it bullying? Mm, maybe, no, not really. Taking advantage of a good situation. Kind of setting yourself up for being taken advantage of. Yeah, that's true. Wow. I'm so glad to hear your business story. So I just started a business earlier this year and I had a different name and I came up with Fight Forward Solutions. Uh, so Fight Forward because it's my name. I like it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I thought it was so clever. And there were people who thought it was amazing and people who thought it was cheesy, but I liked it. So I'm going with it and I'm learning how to just take the insecurity and channel it into something honest so that so that people want to engage and want to interact with me. So hopefully it will continue to work. <laughs> I like Fight For It. It's, it's simple. It's catchy. And the, the primary name of the name of your business is to sit in someone's head. So when they need your service, they remember you. So if you've got a convoluted name that doesn't sit in the brain, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just not going to help you not be homeless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a success coach, how, if I was a negative person all the time, Bruce yeah. didn't answer my text today. I'm pissed off at Bruce or whatever. H how do you train somebody? Write a better text. <laughs> yeah. Or Bruce called me a name, whatever. I'm a negative person. I get offended easily. How do you, how do you change that person's mindset? Yeah, it doesn't. I, well, I, I ask a lot of questions, Tim. I do because I. It's not just one simple question. No, I know. Don't you just wish it was? I, I feel like I would either be really rich or, you know, not. Yeah, it would be amazing. But it's an emotional thing, it's a process. So I would start with some reflective questions. And one might be okay, so you're feeling angry all the time. And, and people usually come to me. I'm different than a therapist because a therapist is usually. Um, seeking a, they're, they're usually identifying a diagnosis, whereas I'm looking at um, the areas of someone's life where they kind of feel stuck and they're, you know, I point out blind spots. So I just want to say it's different. And I think therapy is amazing. Um, and I also think coaching is amazing. So if someone comes to me and they're struggling with finding it hard not to be angry all the time, then I might ask them. And I know, again, this, this may be silly sounding, but I might ask them, to spend, I don't know, 10 to 20 minutes reflecting in a journal, um, reflecting on what they want their life to look like when they're 80 years old. If, if they're really tough, I might ask them to write their obituary. Because when we get to the end of our lives and we're reflecting back, I, I've never met a person who says, yeah, I really wish I was more bitter. Ah man, I really wasted time being happy. I really wish I was so angry. And so even though that's not an immediate fix, it helps us kind of identify what we want out of life. And so someone might say, well, I want, I want to be loved. I want to be surrounded by family. Okay, well, so what are you doing to, to delve into those relationships, to strengthen them or to, to even find them, you know, to start them? So it becomes a very, I, I use a very backward design model a lot of times and look at what people want and then help them untangle those things that they're doing that are keeping them from, from making progress in that way. And I celebrate wins along the way when someone has a reaction that's different than they would have had before we celebrate that. Like kind of putting a bow on it, I would say that um, it's really important to recognize that every time 
you know, people are going to say hurtful things and it doesn't make them a bully. We want to be very careful in the same way that I don't want to be labeled. I want to be very careful not to label someone else because they're having a tough day or maybe even a tough season of life. So I don't want to throw around hurtful words. We, I think that when, when we're thinking of bullying and when we're thinking about just the, the, the different iterations of, 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 bullying and what what it means to people we can kind of recognize that it's very important whether i'm feeling bullied or hurt you know someone's hurt my feelings or i've been offended to respond in a way that that doesn't pile on the hurt even further like words are really powerful and so it's really important i can't i can't control what someone else is going to say about me but I need to not add fuel to a fire. What I need to do is focus my efforts instead on making sure I'm recognizing the truth and, and acknowledging something as truth or trash. I also want to put this out there into this discussion, which is there are people who are mean and nasty, but, and as you said, there are people who have a bad day. I would encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast to think about that one time that they were the asshole because there isn't one person listening to this podcast that if you take it out in isolation, hasn't had a moment when they were the asshole or the Karen or just it was the wrong day. Everything happened and a moment occurred. It was at a store or it was in a parking lot and you just lost it because your mental capacity to deal was just at its limit. But for somebody else, you were just this nasty whirlwind that hit them uncontrollably, unfairly. Everybody has done that at one point, maybe not in an extreme way, maybe not in a way that would end up on TikTok. But if you look back into your life, there's probably at least one moment where you were that person. I would say, Bruce, that I was also that person, not to the same degree, but I have been hesitant. I'm going to tell you all this and trust that that you hear my whole story. And that is the day that I responded to this, this person who was hurtful to me, I was favored by the court of opinion and everything. But looking back now that I was mentioning, alluding to that before, I wish that I could look at that Southwest gate agent who probably went through at least a short season of, 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 sort of a hellacious kind of experience at the hands of my blog readers and my Twitter followers and, and the, the media. I mean, I was on every major network talking about this story and, and his face was, was uh, on video, like apologizing to me, you know, countless times around the world. And looking back at that now, I hate, I hate that that is how it happened. I wish that I had had the tools that I have now, because I would have offered grace to that guy. It still would have been unacceptable. I still would have had conversations. I still would have done everything I could to champion change. And I still would have had a lot of followers like I did at the time. So I could have done that differently. So even though he didn't treat me well that day, I want to say on the record for the first time ever, after talking about this so many times that I, I can't count that that I'm sorry for the way that I treated him. And if I could look at him today, I would say, you were not nice to me. 
but I still should have been nicer to you. And I, I think that's where, that's what I meant when I said that it's a lot harder with, to, to withhold grace or to withhold forgiveness from someone once you've received it. There are people in the world who have chosen, whom I've hurt over the years, who have chosen very much not to forgive me. And I have to respect that. But for me, again, I can't control that. But but living with unforgiveness leads to incredible bitterness. And that's not what I want for my life. So I definitely, what you say resonates a lot because I have been that person. I should have been kinder too. And that that's the thing. Like we are only responsible for our actions. And so that's how I live my life now. And is it always going to be perfect? Am I always going to get it right? For sure, no, no. But that's the goal. And and my goal, every single client I have, we celebrate progress over perfection every day because that's the goal. The goal is to be a little bit kinder, a little bit wiser, and to offer more grace than we receive. And honestly, I think that is a perfect note to close this out on. Yeah. Because I just think that says everything. Kenley, I know we mentioned it before, but now in the official capacity... (laughs) Where can our listeners connect to you? Yeah, um, they can go to fightforward.com or look me up on socials at fightforward, F-I-T-E, forward.com or fightforward on social media. Thank you, Kelly, for coming on our podcast this week and sharing us your story and your insights. Thank you so much, Tim. It was such a pleasure to be here with you and Bruce. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And as for us, there are two ways to get a hold of us. The first is our very own website, which is www.breakingbullying.com. The second is by emailing us. If you have a story of bullying, if there's any questions or comments you happen to have, email us at breakbullyinghere at gmail.com. Now, if you are the victim of bullying, there are online resources to help. The first is the government's very own anti-bullying website, and the address for that is www.stopbullying.gov. Another good resource is www.pacer.org bullying. Now, if you happen to suffer from dark thoughts, if you have feelings of self-harm, we implore you to stop and reach out for help. You can find help at the National Suicide Hotline. Very simple number to reach them. It's 988. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Tim Flynn, I'm Bruce Naxon. I would say tune in next week, but it's the end of summer and we are going on vacation for a month. So we'll be gone for September, but join us back in October when we will continue this conversation.